Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun on three occasions. I don't well to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? Buongiorno tutti. Here we are without Damien again. We're getting seriously worried now that he's abandoned us. But uh, in any case, plenary week in the European Parliament. A lot of stuff on, but to be honest with you, as far as we're concerned, the biggest incident globally, incidents, uh, was the appalling war crimes of Israel all over again. And for us, that was the biggest discussion here. We didn't get a chance to talk about it because we didn't get time from our group, but uh, we managed to sneak it in in some of our other contributions. But make you maybe start. It's so gut-wrenching. I, I don't know where to start on this one. Yeah, well, you're saying that we didn't get to speak on it. We actually, in fact, the two of us spoke on it. Yeah. Um, uh, but we spoke illegally on it. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we both got three different speaking slots in the plenary for the week. And um, we both used one uh, of them to bring in stuff uh, on um, the whole issue of Israel uh, carrying out its massacre in Ga- in Gaza uh, and in, in the West Bank. Uh, I mean, look at it. It's, it is hard to talk about it. It's just so bad. And the behaviour of the European Union, uh, the, the, the behaviour of so many MEPs, the majority of MEPs, is nauseating. Uh, I mean, we even had the president of the commission, von der Leyen, coming out and at a, at a time where the Israelis killed this week, or since the bombing started, they've killed 63 children. The Hamas have killed two children in Israel. And they're talking about it as if there's two sides in it. And but some people didn't even talk about it as if there was two sides in it. Von der Leyen, the president of the commission, put out a statement condemning Hamas for their attacks on Israel and said nothing about the Israeli attacks on uh, Gaza and the West Bank. Now, I mean, mother of God, how could she do it? There's 13 dead in total in Israel from Hamas rockets. There's... Uh, the figure is getting close to 300 in in Gaza. Yeah, I mean, let's start at the beginning on this. And I mean, we assume that most of our listeners know the historical background to the situation in Palestine and Gaza. But Israel, and you wouldn't think it in here, Israel is an occupying power under international law. It is, and it has been registered now uh, in certain circles as an apartheid state. So a lot of the legal entitlements that uh, it should give to Palestinians, it doesn't do. Uh, what triggered the latest round was the Israeli Supreme Court um, decided to uh, authorise the eviction of Palestinian 
families from their homes. This sparked unrest and then the sp- a spiral of, of violence, I suppose, continued from that. But what we've seen is a completely and utterly uh, massive onslaught from the Israeli side which has dehumanised Palestinians. It has committed war. It bombed media outlets. It killed doctors. It obliterated the only COVID centre in an area. And people know this is a, a, a piece of land about the size of County Loud with two million people living in it. And I hope people saw, although nobody should have to see it, not, not to mind endure it, the bombing of buildings collapsing, children screaming, dead bodies. And the European Parliament, one after the other, got up and they started their speech by... We uh, believe and we accept that Israel has a right to defend itself. It was utterly madness, really madness and and, and disgustingly disproportionate. Well, first of all, they they never say that the Palestinians whose land it is have the right to resist. And the, the argument that Italy or that Israel has a right to defend itself, well, in actual fact, International law would say they do not have the right to defend themselves in a territory that they're illegally occupying. Mm. They have no standing on international law. And we have members of the European Parliament standing up and totally ignoring the reality of international law and arguing that Israel has the right uh, to defend itself in occupied territories. Mm. It's completely... And well, not only the, the head of the commission, the head of the Foreign Affairs Committee, MEP yeah, after MEP and, and saying... Uh, and it should be pointed out that one country in particular stood out as being abhorrent, and that was Germany. The Germans have stood 100% shoulder to shoulder with Israel, no matter what Israel does. And it's linked to the fact that the Germans have a guilty conscience about the horrors that they inflicted on the European Jews in the Second World War. And they are now prepared to sacrifice the lives of Palestinian children. Palestinian, 63 Palestinian children have been killed and I, had, I didn't hear one German MEP uh, say anything in their defence. Do you know what I found incredible was them getting up and saying, oh, this is horrific, people are losing their children. And then they'd talk about Israel. It's like they could completely and utterly block out the existence of Palestinian children and families. And they have succeeded in buying into that agenda of totally dehumanising them. They actually didn't exist for a whole number of MEPs. And we've made the point here about the disconnect between this place and the citizens of Europe. But I actually felt physically sick or on the verge of crying listening to them. They were so bad uh, the last time. It's absolutely shocking. And the EU is 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 Israel. It says it's the Israel's biggest trade partner. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's the biggest aid donor to the Palestinians. But they're not joining the dots on this. This, you know, the I suppose the middle of the ground people doing the two side stuff is bad enough because, as Desmond Tutu says, if you're neutral in the face of injustice, you're taking the side of the oppressor. So there is no two sides. And we were really critical of Simon Coveney on the podcast last week because his early remarks were very much two sides. But in fairness, he did change during the week and in the UN Security Council on that. Yeah, no, uh, Simon Coveney, to his credit, has been the best of the 27 member states. And uh, fair play to him. It is not easy for him to go in to the, to the European Council meetings 
and even say what he's been saying because there's so much opposition to it. I'd say he must be wondering what planet he's living on because while Simon is a right-wing fine gale neoliberal and has had no problem with the US using uh, Shannon as a, a as a military base to cause untold destruction in the Middle East for many years now. The truth is that Simon is a human being and he actually can see that what's happening in Gaza is totally un- intolerable. And, he, and I, he deserves great credit for showing the strength in difficult circumstances to come out as he has. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen a lot of comment on the left uh, from people saying that he's just been a total hypocrite and how dare he. And I have to say, I don't buy that argument at all. And I mean, it's absolutely true that we find it reprehensible that the Irish government hasn't enacted Francis Black's occupied territories goods to just simply have international law upheld and for Ireland to refuse to trade in settlement goods. They should expel the Israeli uh, ambassador. They should block all links in that regard. And obviously, but while saying that and believing that, the statements from Simon Coveney and his input on the Security Council and amongst the EU's um, foreign ministers is a bit of a lone voice. And uh, being in the you know European Chamber, listening to the dialogue and the way in which the narrative is um, distorted on mainland Europe in many countries. I mean, for God's sake, the Austrians erected a Israeli flag. So did the Czech Republic in the midst of a massacre of Palestinians. It's fr- And in fairness, he has been pretty, you know, yeah. firm, although we'd like him to do more, you know. On the issue of, of, of there being two sides, a couple of points that need to be made, right? First one is that uh, nobody in Europe is arming the Palestinians. Several countries in Europe, especially Germany, are arming the Israelis, a military power who get 3.8 billion euros or dollars worth of arms free from the American taxpayer every year, thanks to Obama. And that's that's in about 10 years now. It was around 2011 or 2012 that mm. he brought it in. $3.8 billion a year free of arms from the American taxpayer to the Israeli military machine. And secondly, uh, some people are kind of wondering, well, you, know, you would think from the mainstream media that Hamas had started this. I mean... Well, first of all, this has gone on for years and really started in 1948 uh, when the Israeli uh, announced itself as a state on the ruins of 500 Palestinian villages and towns and the expulsion of 800,000 Palestinians. And ever since then, the Israeli policy has been to get the Palestinians out. They have been carrying out a genocide against the Palestinians and they are running an apartheid state in Israel where many Palestinians still live and they live as second-class citizens. And some people in the European Parliament have the gall to stand up and say that Israel is a democracy it has nothing to do with democracy. But this, this, this latest episode, it started uh, with Israel attempting to illegally evict Palestinian families from their homes in the Sheikh Jarrah uh, region in Jerusalem. And the, it's, it's, it's like as if the Nakba, which is what they call the expulsion and uh, the genocide of the Palestinians in 1948, it's like uh, these evictions are like a continuous Nakba, where families who were thrown out of their homes 
on the land that was Palestinian land, but is now what's called Israel. They were thrown out of their homes, moved into other areas, and, and one of those areas was Sheikh Jared uh, near Jerusalem. And now they're being expelled by Israeli settlers from these homes. I mean, it, it's the second expulsion from these families. And also, another spark that set this off was that Israeli defence forces and with the help of Israeli settlers tried to prevent uh, the Palestinians from praying in, in the mosque. The, 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 the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, it was, worshippers were in there and they were attacked by Israelis, attacked mm. when they were trying to pray. Now, my God, oh, did they want them to, res- to, to react? How in God's name could an African react? And they have the right to resist. It's their land. Yeah, no, and it's credible when you hear the talk in here all the time about freedom of religion and, you know, freedom of assembly and all that good stuff. And then they stand idly by on this. And this is the hypocrisy and the way in which the narrative has been covered by the media and in here is completely wrong because the EU's council ministers met and the story was, oh, they couldn't reach agreement because Hungary and the far right in Hungary wouldn't sign the statement of the other EU ministers in calling for a ceasefire. First of all, the comments of Ursula von der Leyen, the delay in calling that foreign affairs meeting was a green light to Netanyahu to continue the bombing and the massacre of Palestinians for a couple of days over the weekend into Tuesday. They could have easily met earlier than that. That's the first. So it wasn't Hungary that was causing the problems, blocking the situation. Um, I mean, Hungary blocked a resolution on China recently and it didn't stop, it doesn't stop the EU morning, noon and night giving out about China. But none of them will call Israel to heal because they're too much under the thumb of the United States. And, you know, there's a bit of a narrative that, oh, we couldn't get agreement. And sure, even the United Nations Security Council couldn't get agreement. They could. 14 out of the 15 organised countries in the United Nations Security Council says we need a strong call for a ceasefire. And Joe Biden's representative said, no, 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 America blocked it. That's not division. That's America deliberately bolstering and allowing Israel to commit war crimes. That's the American... Uh I mean, America is a terrorist state, whether people like it or not, and that's America defending a terrorist state called Israel. I mean, all military aid to Israel should be stopped by the Europeans. But if you want to support the rights of the Palestinians, you have to oppose US imperialism. I mean, European colonialism forced Israel on the Middle East back in 1948, and it was totally against the wishes of the indigenous population who were Palestinian. And I mean, uh, Israel is not a liberal democracy. Israel is an arm of American imperialism. And as Joe Biden said a long time ago, if Israel didn't exist, we'd have to invent it. Israel facilitates American empire in the region. It's a vital tool for them. And there is no logic, no rationale, uh, no humanity in the manner in which uh, the American machine is prepared to back up Israel at all costs. But our focus has been on the fact that the European Union has been shameful, shameful in its weakness and its failure to actually take a different position than the Americans. Terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, it's incredible. And I mean, 
I just find it disgusting that this idea of trying to say, oh, it's a bureaucratic problem, really, we can't get agreement. It's just a complete lie. Like, not only does the European Union not criticise Israel, but it actually has an incredibly privileged relationship with Israel. Now, people during the week have been given out, why is Israel in the Eurovision contest? Why are they in Europe in terms of soccer? Because they're not actually in Europe. But it's even worse in terms of the EU. And we took the initiative based on when some peace activists in Ireland got on to us about the issue. So we said, you know what, we'll do a letter and we'll send it around to all the MEPs arguing for an end to uh, Israel's privileged relationship with the uh, EU to suspend the uh, EU-Israel trade agreement because some people probably know that, you know, Israel gets a huge amount of grants under Horizon 2020, which is a big EU research and investment programme. It's due to finish now because obviously 2020. There's a new fund in, in Horizon 2021. We argued for that Israel should get no money uh, out of that. They participate in the student exchange programme Erasmus. They benefit from other very much close ties, really close. I made the point before, they're in police operations. We exchange data with them freely uh, and they are being invited to attend PESCO, which is the arms um, uh, projects as well. So we sent a letter around to our fellow MEPs arguing for an end to the privileged position to suspend the agreement uh, that no Israeli companies would benefit from the new Horizon programme, closing Erasmus to Israeli universities, ensuring that no EU agencies would uh, enter contracts with any Israeli company, in particularly arms companies, because we've highlighted a lot about their use of the Elbit drone system and so on. We said we wanted to ban the import and sale of goods from illegal settlements and uh, to bring about uh, the EU-wide recognition of Palestinian rights. Out of 700 and what, four MEPs? How many MEPs? Well, it's just over 700. 19 MEPs. 19 MEPs signed that statement. Uh, out of the 19, four of them were from Ireland. Um, myself and Mick and Luke Ming Flanagan and Chris McManus from Sinn Féin. Uh, nobody else from Ireland. And yeah, 15 other people outside Ireland signed that. I mean, that is just I mean, beyond it, belief. It's funny I hadn't thought about it, but I mean, isn't it, isn't it so disappointing that the Irish Greens wouldn't sign that? I didn't realise they hadn't signed it. I'll oh yeah, no. That's mad. And I spent four, we spent four reminders out to people about this initiative, like, you know. It's quite oh. shocking. I mean, I couldn't believe the low level of, of take up on it. Now, it was a hard hitting um, letter, but uh, my God, like, how could a letter be hard hitting when there's bombs, you know, evicting people from their homes, killing their children, wiping out the only COVID centre? Uh, it's just uh, today, this place really like today they wiped out uh, a water facility that serves twenty percent of the water to Gaza. Uh, it was deliberately targeted. Oh yeah, and like, it's a war crime. And there's no doubt this is going to finish by the time we have the next co- co- podcast. The ceasefire will probably have happened. But look at the scale of the destruction in Gaza now that has to be rebuilt. Most of the schools are gone. The hospital facilities are gone. The media outlets can't function. So many people now are homeless on top of a really impoverished area anyway. And the Israelis know that. They absolutely know that. And the EU sitting around talking about, oh, we'll redevelop the two-state solution. It's just utter nonsense for a peaceful settlement between two equals where they cop themselves on like. The, two, the two-state solution has been dead ever since 
the Israelis were allowed to expand on the, on the, set, on the illegal settlements. They killed the two-state solution. And they don't want a one-state one even where uh, the two uh, entities would live in peace. It wouldn't suit Israel. Mm. They want Israel for Israelis only. They are a blatant apartheid state. Mm. And they don't want the, the, the Palestinians to have normal civil rights. Did you hear your man in here, one of the fellas going, Israel is the only democratic state, only democratic country in that area. We need to defend them. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, stop. We better stop talking about it. Yeah. It's just too we bad. talk about something more positive. Think of something. <laughs> well, we obviously have to change the subject of Gaza and Israel um, and to go on to the fact that actually we did succeed in bringing in a little bit of a chink in the armour um, in that we'll have talked about before about how the EU has blocked calls from South Africa and India for the multinational big pharma companies to um, be forced to lift their patent um, arrangement and to allow the generic reproduction of the vaccine so that people all over the world would get cheap and ready access, access to the COVID vaccine. Um, America, Europe, other rich countries have been blocking that now. Joe Biden said, oh, we're prepared to look at that in America, although let's wait and see. Good that he said that and that they're willing to look at it, but let's see if the negotiations start, what they'll say. But the European Union has been blocking it um, and we managed our group Group in the left and an amendment signed by myself and Mick and others in the group. We inserted a call from the Parliament for the, the TRIPS waiver to be lifted in terms of, of vaccines in a resolution on AIDS that was before the Parliament. And believe it or not, we managed what happens rarely uh, to have a victory on that and to, to, to win on it, which was really good to see. Uh, it was nice. So that motion is now uh, passed by the European Parliament. Interestingly, from an Ireland perspective, all of the Irish MEPs, with the exception of four of the five uh, Fine Gael members, Maria Walsh actually voted for it. The other four abstained. Um, but I thought that was interesting. But yeah, so that is now the Parliament's policy, which I think is quite radical and should really put the pressure on the, on the Commission and the Council. So a little bit of good news in that regard. Yeah, and um, God knows it's scarce in here. Yeah, and I mean, look, we had a chance to talk about other stuff. So you were up on a few other things, weren't you? No, one of the things that I, that I spoke on was uh, the impact of climate change on vulnerable uh, populations. And obviously, most of those vulnerable populations are in the global south. And much of uh, EU behaviour does have an impact on them, on uh, climate-wise, uh, economic-wise, socially-wise. But uh, we, I was the rapporteur uh, for the Environment Committee's opinion on this. And we actually, we actually ended up being a decent enough piece uh, but, and one of the things, for example, that we did in us, we, we acknowledge that only 10% of the global population is responsible for 52% of global emissions. So you have the 10% richest people causing 52% of global emissions. It's a pretty stark figure mm, today. Incredible. I mean, and that, that figure would have been even worse 20 years ago mm. because... Uh, some of the poorer countries are catching up a little bit. and But we also acknowledge in the report that the EU has a historic and ongoing responsibility for climate systems breakdown. But, uh, but, but also that it's the global south who are still today paying most dearly for EU exploitation, North American exploitation, and footing the bill for our climate debt. 
and uh, and I made the point that listen, we'll take we'll take serious EU concerns about the impact climate change is having on vulnerable populations when it stops stealing trillions of euros from the global south every year through tax evasion, transfer mispricing, expenditure debt, and aid arrangements. We are robbing them blind. Mm. We're stealing their minerals. Still, we're causing huge environmental damage. We're exporting our. We're, we're we're doing less mining at home uh, so that we're not doing the baddie, but we're actually organising to have our minerals uh, excavated in other countries where we're damaging the water table, where we're causing huge climate damage and uh, we don't even pay for a proper price for it. Yeah, and I mean... We're in the middle of voting now at the moment, but I mean, there have been some really interesting votes this week and I don't know if you have them to hand, but we had a whole number of amendments put down on really important issues. Like one of them was about trying to call out and argue for a kind of a clawing back of a lot of the anti-China rhetoric that goes on in here and arguing for, you know, just decency and a bit of respect across the board here. And I think not even a hundred people agreed with that amendment. Sure they didn't. There was one about Israel and, uh, you know, the sanctions and the uh, Magnitsky Magnitsky Act. Act. We said that if there's going to be sanctions Mm. and if you're not going to sanction Israel, who was massacring Palestinians, please don't sanction anybody because it doesn't stack up. Yeah. And, uh, and that that got uh, incredibly low support. Yeah, we might feature that because they're only kind of coming I, in now. We haven't got the full information of who yeah. voted what, but actually some of them were quite shocking, and they really exposed the hypocrisy of these right, guys. We'll, you know? we'll, we'll, we'll do them in more detail next week. But one vote that was very clear was my file, my Pericles file. Now, in case people don't know, and I certainly didn't, Pericles was a an old and uh, statesman and uh, warrior in ancient Greece. But the Pericles program is the EU's anti-counterfeiting programme for the euro and I was the rapporteur for the parliament on that Uh, I mean look at it's a small programme protecting the euro is really important it's in everybody's interest if there was big hits on the euro uh, then the wages in people's pockets the money the government has to spend is going to be affected and this is the programme that's supposed to coordinate all the information between the banks the police other state agencies in being on top of counterfeit and spot sharing information and all of that. Uh, The programme is brought out every seven years in line with the budget. They spend about six million on it, which is not bad. Um, And the counterfeiting has been pretty much under control. I mean, there was a really big bust in Italy last year. They reckon it was the centre for about 25% of the counterfeiting of the euro since its inception 20 years ago. And I mean... They busted, it was worth about 233 million, which would mean the counterfeiting on the euro has been about 1 billion since it started, which is really not very much. So we think it's a good value for money programme. And I think about only three people in the parliament voted against it. So in fairness, it wasn't my negotiating skills. I think it was 683 for... Sounds like shooting fish in a barrel. Go for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. no. I was hard fought. Ah, no. No, we did. Actually, the Parliament got a really good uh, clause in it about improving the evaluation of the programme because up to now it's been only numerically evaluated, sort of going, oh, it's great. There isn't much counterfeit and we're kind of on top of it. Therefore, the programme is great. The Parliament said, no, we need more quality on that. Let's look at the programmes, how many member states are getting involved. 
um, how much information squaring is the programme really. So we got a call in for that, which was pretty good. So, yeah, that was my file. Yeah, I had a piece as well on the um, the Our House Convention. Um, I was just, there's, there's amendments uh, taking place to the Our House Convention because it, it's not actually working quite as well as it should. And the EU is actually contravening international law for the last while by not complying fully with the Our House Convention. The Our House Convention, for those that don't know about it, uh, is about accessing uh, environmental justice. And it's about accessing information around everything to do with the environment. And uh, in actual fact, uh, there was the, the, um, the rapporteur for the file, um, who was from the EPP, uh, which, as we know, are a pretty conservative group. But he was pretty good and he's done well on it. And uh, the the Parliament position on it uh, is is pretty decent. And the Commission's position seems pretty decent. Uh, it's just a case now of getting... The, uh, obviously, it goes to Trilog and uh, let's see what the Council are like because they're usually the most conservative. Um, but I thought it was important. I pointed out that uh, uh, just... We're in the European Parliament at the moment. We're actually getting some positive results amending the Air House regulation to comply with the Air House Convention. And a member state government called Ireland is using political pressure to undermine the actual same fundamental rights that the Convention bestows. Last last week in the Irish Parliament, the Taoiseach criticised. On Tashka's decision to appeal a High Court decision in relation to a planning decision for a proposed cheese plant on the basis that it would lead to increased carbon emissions and further fuel Ireland's already unsustainable dairy expansion. Now, I mean, this is mad. This is a project. Uh, and of course, oh, jobs are at stake. Uh, there's construction jobs here and there'll be jobs in the factory at the end. But I mean, it's not. What, what about the environment? Are we completely abandoning it uh, whenever there's money concerned? Because this is what got us into the, this fix in the first place. But, but this project, right, is a joint project with a Dutch firm who are looking to use Ireland to make cheese that they're not able to make in Holland anymore. Now, guess why they can't make it in Holland? Because the Danes, for environmental reasons, have decided to cut their dairy herd. So The Dutch. No, there's not... The Dutch, sorry. The Dutch. <laughs> there's not enough milk for the Dutch factories uh, to make all the cheese they want to make in Holland anymore. So, oh yeah, you, you know who will have us? There's, uh, they're lawless in Ireland. We'll go to Ireland. They, don't, they won't mind increasing their dairy herd. And not only have we dramatically increased our dairy herd at the expense of, of a lot of small farmers in Ireland, at the expense of grain producers, at the expense of the environment, but, uh, and at the expense, I mean, long ago, the dairy industry, uh, when we joined the European Union first, the government agreed to give away our fishing rights in return for big subsidies for dairy. We made millionaires out of a lot of dairy farmers, right? But uh, now what we have is there's a, a big pressure on for Ireland to reduce its herd, but Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael won't hear of it. Oh, we need that. There's jobs in it and we make great milk and it's so important for exports. But we will not deal with our challenges on environment unless we reduce the dairy herd. So now we have... Antashka uh, are, are objecting to this factory going ahead because this will automatically pressure an increase 
in uh, dairy production, in milk production, in, in, uh, it'll, it'll pressure an increase in the dairy herd, right? While the Dutch are decreasing theirs. So they, iron is increasing, they're decreasing. Uh, and uh, what happens to our uh, Paris Agreement uh, ambitions? Well, it's funny that you should talk about the sort of perception of Ireland as being light touch and sure we'll dump any old crap there. Because that actually was the background in some ways to the fact that in this plenary we had calls for infringement proceedings, which is like the European Union equivalent of legal action to be taken against Ireland because, the motion said, of Ireland's failure to tackle big tech in terms of data protection. So the way in which the data protection legislation was set up is that in action or against uh, companies which breach people's data privacy has to be taken in the country where the company is headquartered. And because Ireland has nearly 80% of the big tech companies are located in Ireland, this means that that task falls on the shoulders of the Irish Data Protection Commissioner. And they've been involved in some very high profile cases against Facebook, Twitter, and so on. Some of them in the early years triggered by the digital rights and privacy activist um, Max Schrems and that case was well known and it allowed the uh, European Court of Justice to expose the lack of adequate protection for European citizens' data, in particular when it was being transferred to the United States. Uh, So it can sound a bit boring, but it's incredibly important because data is big business and these big tech companies are using information to spy on people's personal choices and so on, to use that to bombard them for marketing. It intrudes in their personal behaviour and so on. And that Facebook and these companies are subjected and have the possibility of that data when it's sent to the US of being exposed to US surveillance, which is why the European court said that the data should be uh, protected. But a lot of, and there's been a bit of a campaign against the Irish Data Protection Commissioner over here, and it's completely wrong because there are problems with the way in which the EU is handling this situation, but it's actually not the fault of the European, of the Irish Data Protection Commissioner and we're not, you know, I, I made the point today is that I've spent half my political career calling out the fact that Ireland is soft on big tech and soft on multinationals and it's a huge problem but it's not the problem in this case because the delays in the legislation are not the fault of the Irish Data Protection Commissioner. They've done quite a good job uh, at the moment. They are now in a situation where the High Court ruled uh, last week when Facebook tried to appeal uh, their decision that the current arrangements of Facebook transferring data across to the US are not adequately protected in law. So that's really significant because Facebook now have are faced with are faced with having to stop that. But the delays in the system are not the fault of the Irish Data Protection Commissioner. These regulators are up against giant companies with huge lawyers, huge money, deep pockets. They fight every step of the way. Once you get through all the legal process, you have to go to the other data protection boards. There's a big process of deliberation there. So there are delays, but it's certainly not the fault of Ireland. And by the European Parliament pandering to that line, we're actually missing the bigger picture about the problems in data protection. So I think it was really regrettable that they've kind of sunk to that level. And unless they start copping on on it, you know, we're not going to improve the system. And this has nothing to do with wearing the green jersey, which we don't do. It's about telling it as it is. And they are not responsible in this situation. 
I should add as well that um, pe- people probably uh, remember that in 2015 the milk quota uh, was lifted and uh, that's when the increase in the dairy herd uh, uh, increased at pace. And, but, and, and since 2015, the Irish government and Irish banks have been, regardless of the environment, encouraging young farmers in particular to borrow money and increase the size of the dairy herd. Now, what they've done is they've put many of these young farmers into debt at the mercy of the banks. And very often, the young farmers, while they've borrowed a whole lot of money to double the size of their herd sometimes, but they're actually running to stand still. They're just trying to make the same money uh, and having to do twice the work. I mean, and there's an awful lot of young farmers, while... Uh, I mean, I give out about many aspects of farming in Ireland, but I would defend the smaller farmers morning, noon and night, I would. And I, I see an awful lot of young farmers being driven into debt by government policy and with the encouragement of banks who will shaft them if things go wrong. A bank, it'll give you an umbrella if the sun is shining, but if it starts raining, it'll want the umbrella back. Absolutely, no, terrible stuff and. it. I suppose that we, we should finish by mentioning the Digital Green Cert. Of course, the trilogues between the Council, the Commission and the Parliament is wrapping up on the Digital Green Certificate. And we're told that uh, people who are fully vaccinated will be allowed to uh, travel unhindered. But let's see the detail. I mean, I couldn't believe the statements of Faradkar during the week that it might be possible for Irish people to travel in August. I mean, at the moment, people in Ireland are imprisoned in that country. They cannot leave, even if they've been vaccinated, even with a negative test, which is just completely out of kilter. And I'm not actually sure that this uh, agreement that was reached um, is going to change that situation. Seems to be absolutely mad. Yeah, I mean... Every fortnight, I download the information from all the member states as to, in terms of cases and deaths, where they are per 100,000 for the last seven days. And uh, I can tell you, very, very rarely have Ireland even been in the top 25. But yet, we have probably one of the most severest lockdowns. It doesn't stack up. No, it certainly It's just not right. And... uh, Listen, we've already made the point that the lockdowns haven't worked in Europe um, because of the way they've done them, uh, allowing certain things to happen, others not, confiding some. It's a selective lockdown and it hasn't worked. Okay, well, look, we were going to do Germany today, but to be honest, with the week that was in it and the disgrace of Germany in dealing with the Israel-Palestine issue, we didn't want to be responsible for maybe saying things that we shouldn't, so we're going to give it a miss. We're not going to talk about Germany today. Uh, We're instead saying Palestine and uh, we'll see you next week. And we might say some things about Germany next week. Well, we might (laughs) do as well. Very true. All the best. Adios.